We're going to read from verse 17 down to verse 24 today and reflect on that. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. It'd be great if you could just uh, pray for me, pray for those sitting around you as we reflect on God's word this morning. Lord, we um, again come to you with thankful hearts, full hearts. Um, even as we have thought this morning of those that are grieving amongst us here in this church and other churches that are gathering today, Lord, we realize and we declare this morning that you are our life. And sometimes those circumstances of our situation become incredibly challenging, very difficult. And yet it remains, you are our life, you are our hope. So we turn our hearts and our minds and our ears to your words this morning. Teach us, we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning I want to um, step you through a little bit of the process that I use whenever I read the Bible, um, study the Bible, preparing to preach from a Bible, whatever it may be. This is something you can do this morning, um, anytime. Sometimes it can take a lot of reading a lot of study, a lot of prayer to work out what the main point of a certain passage of Scripture could be. But working out the main point isn't the primary objective of Bible study. It, working out the main point isn't the primary objective of your Bible reading even. And even... It's not the main objective of preaching. I'm not sure if you realise that or not. The main point, we often hear about it. What's the main point? In one sense, the main point isn't really what we need to be um, going after as our, our final objective, our primary objective. Because the primary objective is to hear and obey the Word of God. The primary objective of preaching of your personal Bible reading is transformation, not information. The word is meant to bend your life. It's meant to alter you. It's meant to shape you and make you look more and more like Jesus. That's the point, right? That's the point of the Bible. Now, in saying that the goal is transformation and not information doesn't mean that the information is irrelevant. I've actually heard people say, uh, look, Chris, don't get so hung up on the Bible. We just need a relationship with the Spirit, right? Which, to be completely honest, is just some type of New Age spiritualism that's wrapped up and disguised with Christian language. Do you want to be transformed by the Spirit of God? Then read your Bible. Yeah. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. So I'm going to give you two ways that you can read your Bible this morning. Here's the first. Read it. Read it like you would drink water 
after being lost in the outback for three days. All right? Splash it over your face. Let it dribble down your beard. Women, that's going to be difficult. <laughs> Let it dribble down your blouse. All right? Let it just... No one, if they've been lost in the outback, comes across a well of clean water and just goes, well, let's drink it politely. You know, man, you just stick your face in it. You just about immerse yourself in it, all right? Drink, drink water like you've been stranded in the outback for three days. Now read your Bible that way, all right? Just read it for the sheer pleasure of hearing God's voice. Right. One way that could look is joining up with other people in this church as they do the same page winter Bible reading plan. You can do it like that. They're going to try and read through the entire New Testament in three months. All right. That's drinking from a fire hose. That's, that's putting your face in the bucket of water and just immersing in it. If you'd like to know more about that, you can contact Marty or Lauren Padmos, if you don't know who they are, come and uh, introduce yourself to me. I will make sure that I will introduce you to them, although they're not here today. All right? Lauren, Lauren. where are you, Lauren? Oh, serving us by looking after our children. (laughs) That'd be right. Good on you, Lauren. Marty, you might be listening at home. Here's the second way you can read your Bible, though. Read it like you're a judge at the world's best whiskey competition. Sorry if that offends anyone, but I hope you get the point. Slugging down a whole flag and isn't the objective when you go to the whiskey drinking competition. Instead, you take a small sip and you let it sit on your palate. You swill it around your mouth a little bit to sense and discover the subtle presence of unique ingredients, even the natural environment that the ingredients were grown in can be detected by those who are trained for this. So instead of biting off whole chapters or books in one meal, just take a single bite of God's Word and chew it for a long time. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn that small piece of God's word around and around in your mind. Look at it from different angles. Ask others what they see when they look at it. And and speak with the Spirit as you're doing so. Asking Him to give you heaven's eyes to see the word of God in a way that you've never discovered it before. Both of those ways are good ways to read the Bible. Yes, join a, read the entire Bible in a year reading plan. Drink it in, let it dribble and run all over you, but make sure you stop and grab a piece of God's Word sometimes and just chew it and savour it and think about it, all right? Regardless of which method you use, you should be using both. The point is transformation. The point is obey it. So if the word tells you to do something, but Bible reading is not complicated in one sense, all right? We make it complicated, but it's not. If the Bible tells you to do something, guess what? Do it. 
If the Bible tells you, now this one might trick us up, not to do something, guess what we have to do? Don't do it. All right? If the Bible tells you to think a certain way, then we begin training our mind to think that way. Now again, maybe someone will say, Chris, that sounds a bit legalistic. I'm just going to love Jesus. Good. Listen to what Jesus says. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Don't like it? Take it up with Jesus. Now, the passage that we've got in front of us today, it has a main point. All right? It has a main point. And I said that some passages take a lot of chewing over to discern the main idea. This one doesn't. This one's easy. In just eight verses, Paul repeats himself three times, each time making a small adjustment to the wording as he pushes his point home. So here's the big idea or the main piece of the information that we need to hear. And I'm going to show it to you in the text. I'm going to read them to you. And then I want you to tell me what the big idea is. First verse I want you to look at in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 7 and 17. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. I'll read it again. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him, all right? If you're an underlining person, you can underline that. Put your finger there. Let's go to verse 20 in your text. Chapter 7, verse 20. Paul again says, Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. All right, there's your second one. Underline that one. Third one, verse 24. Brothers and sisters... Each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. I told you, it, like this one was an easy one, all right? So I'm the, I've just given you the three texts. I Hopefully you've read them in front of you. What I'd love for you to do is take 30 seconds. You can either do this on your own. Um, if you've got people around with you that you're comfortable enough with, you could uh, briefly chat with them. But I want you to take 30 seconds and I want you to tell me from those three texts, what do you think the main point of these eight verses is? All right, 30 seconds. Ten seconds left. All right. Now remember, you don't have to be fancy here. Um, you don't have to apply anything yet. You don't have to sort of go, well, what does God mean by that? 
that the objective of this part of reading the Bible, preparing anything, your own Bible study, your own Bible reading, the, the objective here is just try and think, what did God say? Right? We can get to what did God mean, or what should I do with it, down the track a little bit, but the very first thing you need to say is, what did God say? That's a good question to ask, right? So what did you come up with? What, what do you think is the main point that Paul is trying to make, that God's bringing to us through this text? What's the main thing that we need to sort of just go, okay, there's a bit of a repeating theme there. What was it? Anyone want to be brave enough to yell out your, your thoughts or your little group? Even if you did it on your own. Okay? So wherever you first were and your love for God, just stay there, right? That's what kind of it? Anyone want to... You can fiddle around with the wording a little bit. You can come up with some different slants on the idea. Yep. Very good. I love the way that you very quickly at the beginning just threw Maddie under the bus a little bit. It's like, if we're completely off the track here, it was Maddie's fault. All right? So, thank you. No, that was really good. Great. Thank you very much. Look, I, I'm just going to go with um, Paul's wording on this. I think you're, you're all, all over it. Verse 20, the, one, the middle one that we read, I think is just a really brief summary statement. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. All right, pretty, pretty clear cut, really. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Right? That's the information of the text just what it says we don't have to play around too much with it we don't have to start going gee wonder what God meant by that we can do that shortly or why is it here why did Paul say that now you know what is it that he just said we're going to get to that shortly as well but right right from the beginning just read the text just read it just look at it and go okay God said this right let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called and some of you go that seems pretty easy all the people that think it's easy are already in pretty easy situations. If you're in a challenging situation, right now you're going, I'm not sure I like this one, actually. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called, but my situation isn't that good. I don't want to remain here. All right? Nonetheless, this is what God's saying. That's the first step, though, remember? The first step. What it says... But now our job is to figure out why this is important, not just what. We can all just learn. Most of us can try hard to memorise Bible passages and we can repeat them. That's what God said. We have to think about now why. Why is this important? That helps us to discover the principle that's at work here that we might be able to apply into our unique circumstances maybe. We need to work out... How do, we, how do we let this shape us? I don't want to just remember things and just say, yes, I, I remember that off my heart. Tick the box. Very good. This is, remember, about transformation of a life, not just information. So very simply, we're just going to look at two things today. First thing is called the wider context. And if that seems like a bit jargony for you, then we'll just call that the bigger story. And then we're going to look at the immediate context. Or you can talk about the smaller story. The bigger story of what's going on in this passage and the smaller story about what's going on in this passage 
or the wider context and the immediate context. So we're going to do the wider context first, okay? The wider context or the bigger story. We're going to try and place today's passage, which is just verse 17, remember, down to verse 24, I said, into the bigger story of what Paul has been and will be talking about around this passage. So if you've been following along in this series since either the very beginning, when we started way back near the beginning of the year, or just in the last few weeks maybe, maybe you've been here or maybe you've been watching online, you'll know that in recent weeks in particular, we've been talking a lot about relationships over the last few weeks. In particular, we've been talking about sexual relationships. It's interesting to take note of the fact that when we get to verse 17 and all the way down to verse 24, Paul doesn't mention sex or marriage once, right? And so you might be led to think that he has completely and mercifully (laughs) changed the subject, all right? But then, if you keep reading from verse 25 onwards, you start seeing that Paul goes right back to it again. And he starts talking to virgins, he starts talking to people who are engaged to be married, he starts talking about married people again, and we think, what is the deal, Paul? All right, you've dealt with it, move on. It's getting a little bit challenging for us. All right. That's, that's kind of the bigger story of what's going on around this passage. That's the, the wider context of this passage. So what can we learn from this one simple observation? Even if we aren't sure of what Paul is saying yet, we can know that it has something to do with the subject matter that he has already been addressing. It's not like he was talking about relationships and sexuality and then just sort of went, oh, that's right, Um, wherever God called you, you, just stay there. Now I'm going to go back to talking about relationships again, all right? There's another thing about the wider context that I think would be good for us to take note of before we move on. You may recall, maybe you won't, but let me just remind you, at the very beginning of this whole series in the book of 1 Corinthians... I told you that one of the really big themes that happens all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul highlighting the false identities that the church in Corinth, and because the Spirit has kept this text for us, I would say that we grapple with as well. There are false ways of thinking about ourselves that are damaging to us, they're damaging to our relationships, they're damaging to people around us in our culture. There are a certain way of viewing yourself, an identity which Paul says is flawed. And what he does in this letter to the church is he addresses those false identities and he outlines what they are and how they're damaging. And then he applies the truth of the gospel to them to say, this is the way that we need to think about ourselves in light of who God says we are in Christ. All right? So there's these false identities that exist And then Paul tries to address the gospel on top of them and says, no, this is how we need to think about ourselves. He corrects our false identities. And Paul does that all the way through this letter, a lot. He doesn't just reprimand us, you're thinking the wrong way. He says, hey guys, 
you are thinking the wrong way, but this is how you need to think rightly. This is how you need to view Jesus and your identity in relation to the gospel. And so that's part of the wider context. It's the big story of this letter of Corinth. Now, we're going to zoom back in in a moment and we're going to look at the immediate story, the, the, the immediate context or the, the immediate story. We're going to try and figure out what does it mean when Paul commands, let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. All right? So let's, let's jump now to the immediate context or the smaller story. We want to look at the details of what Paul says here. Okay? We know that he repeats kind of like a version of the same idea three times. Verse, um, the first verse there we saw it, then verse 20 we saw it, then verse 24 we see it again. And it's sort of a, a slightly altered or progressing idea, the same idea that's just repeated three times. We know that's a big, big point. All right? We know that that's sort of something really important to this immediate story. And, and let's just use those three repeated ideas as bookends for a moment. You know, like a, you've got a bookshelf at home and to stop your books falling off, you, you shove something heavy on either end, a brick or something, or something fancy maybe. Um, they're, they're keeping those ideas or those books together. So let's use those passages, uh, those three repeated ideas as bookends you know, verse 17, verse 20 and verse 24. And we can break the passage if we do that into two main sections. The first is verse 17 to verse 20, and then the second is verse 20 down to verse 24. So when we read it like that, we're going to see that the command to remain in the situation in which you were called helps us to sort of isolate two different situations that Christians might find themselves in. I think it also helps us to add to what we've been learning about the bigger story, right, the, the wider context, and we can hopefully start to sort of discover what is the principle behind all this that's going to change my life as I obey it, as I follow Jesus' commands in this. Remember, that's our goal, right? Not just so that we can say, getting a cup of coffee, someone says, well, what was the main point of the sermon today? Well, the main point was, and you can repeat verse 20, no, that's not the main point. The goal here is transformation, right? Not just information. So let's read from verse 17 down to verse 20 together. And I think I've got a text there for you to follow on the slide. Um, and I'm going to give this a title, uh, just so you can sort of see where I'm heading with this. I'm going to give this a little title, this little section, that God isn't interested in the show. God isn't interested in the show. And we'll explain that in a moment. Let's read verses 17 down to verse 20. It says, Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while circumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which 
he was called. Okay? I've highlighted the text on the screen for you so you can see the bookends of Paul's repeated command in that first section. What we want to try and do is figure out what's the middle bit there? What's the bit in the middle and what does that help us do in thinking about what Paul's talking about when it comes to transformation? Now, he's used the word there, circumcised a fair bit. All right? So I'm not going to go into all the details of that, just so that you know. But I do want to try and help a little bit of context about why this matters. This is not just a, um, a physical thing about whether someone is circumcised or, not uncirc- or, or they're not circumcised. This is symbolic, always has been for the Jewish people, even though there's a physical representation of that. So what Paul's talking about here, when he starts to explain what he means by let everyone live his life in the situation that God has called him in, he then gives us two scenarios. He said, maybe you were um, uncircumcised when God called you, which means you were a, usually a, a Gentile in that part of the world in that time. Uh, you weren't a part of the, the covenant people of Israel. All right? You weren't a Jew, a Hebrew. So, so if you were a Gentile when Paul wrote this letter... If you didn't know much about God, if you had lived your life outside of the covenants and the promises of God that he'd given to Israel, um, you were uncircumcised. And Paul says, if that was the case, you don't need to go and get circumcised. You don't need to change um, the symbol of your covenant relationship with God. And, And likewise... Paul says to the Jewish people, to the, the people who are a part of the Hebrew nation, hey, listen, you were circumcised. You know all about Moses. You know about the covenants. You learnt all about the Levitical law. You've been following you know, what's kosher, what's clean, what's not. You've been keeping the Sabbath. Very good. You were circumcised probably as a male on the eighth day after you were born. He says, if that's your situation when you came to Christ, you, you don't need to try and undo your circumcision and then he makes the point that circumcision isn't the point right he said that's not what matters whether you are uncircumcised or circumcised in the symbolic sense is not the issue and he says the issue is keeping God's commands is what matters now why I called it God isn't really interested in the show is that so often um, we, we can do things in our life today as Christians that are kind of symbolic. Uh, physical circumcision was a symbolic act amongst the Jewish people to say, that child was circumcised, that means, if I see that, that means that they are a part of the covenant relationship of God's people. Now, there are ways that Christians today can kind of put on a show to try and make it very obvious to everybody around them that we are Christians. A really silly example, but maybe it makes a point, is this. Let's say that I didn't know Jesus at all, I've been living my life however I saw fit, and um, one of you very lovely people started showing an interest in my life, you invited me over for a meal, I thought, gee, this person's nice. And eventually they said, you know what, I go to this church down at Raymond Terrace, um, Raymond Terrace Community Church, and I go, oh, which one's that? And they go, that big ugly pink one on the corner. And I go, oh yeah, I know that one. Um, 
they're a bit weird and they go, no, I don't find them weird. And then the conversation continues and I get to know them. And eventually I start saying, oh, you know, you're not that strange a person. I thought Christians were all really very weird people. And you're not, you're a bit weird, but you're not super weird. And, and they say, well, would you like to know more about what it becomes, what it means to be a Christian? Would you like to do a um, Discovering Jesus course with me or Christianity Explained? And you shared, I don't really care about the name of any of these courses. All, all I want to know is, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And you share that with me, and then at some point, you know, I'm sort of sitting there talking about it with you, and you say, hey, listen, you, you can't just know all about this stuff and learn about it. What are you going to do about it? Do you want to follow Jesus too? And I say, yes. Yes, I do want to follow Jesus. And I, I pray right then and there. I tell Jesus that I need him, and I'm a sinner, and my life is transformed forever. And then I turn to you and I say, what's the first thing I should do now? And they say, the very first thing you should do is get a sticker on your bumper, right? <laughs> if, you want, if you want everyone to know that you're a Christian now, you must get the fish sticker. Right, okay. That makes perfect sense now, right? So I quickly go out to Kurong and I buy myself a fish sticker and I, I'm not going to get one of those little ones either. All right? I'm excited to be a Christian. I'm going to buy a massive fish sticker. I'm going to put it not just on the bumper. I'm going to cover my whole rear glass with it. And while I'm there, I'm going to get a chain with a cross on it. I'm going to even buy a pencil and a highlighter set that says, I love Jesus on it. All right? Now, there are things that we can do. Now, if I've just offended someone, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. All right? So... And if it was me, I'm, I, I am sorry. <laughs> I told you it was a silly story, but I hopefully I want, you, I want to try and make a point out of this, I think. <laughs> Here's my point. Here's my point. There are things that we can do that are very external to who we are, and we, we do those things trying to tell people that I'm a Christian, right? I'm a follower of Jesus. God's not actually interested in that show doesn't care whether you have a fish sticker on your bumper or not. He doesn't care whether you've got a leather-bound Bible with the right words on the outside to make everyone know that you are a really particularly holy Christian. He doesn't care whether you've got a highlighter set or what app you use on your iPad and which translation it is, as long as it's not the NLT. No, that's not true either. That's not true. Um, I'm, that's a little joke at Tim. Um, Look, he, all those showy things that we sometimes do as Christians, and some of them can be helpful, I'm not saying that they're not, but ultimately, God is not interested in the show. There's external things that we can do. There are things that we can put on. And, and God's saying, what I'm most interested in is are you walking your life as a disciple of Jesus? All right? The point that Paul's trying to make here, just in case you, have, you think I'm having a go at fish stickers, if, you're, if you have a fish sticker on, and right now you're sitting there just going, my car's parked in the car park, <laughs> and I've got that fish sticker on, let me try and update Paul's, um, Paul's language here in something that might relate. This is the Chris Thomas Message Living Translation version. It doesn't matter if you have a fish sticker on your car, you don't need to go and take it off. 
all right? It doesn't matter if you don't have a fish sticker on your car. You don't need to go out and buy one. Neither of those fish stickers is the point. The point is, am I driving like a Christian? Right? Can people see that there is something transformed about my life by the way that I drive my car, the way that I act, the way that I have a conversation? That's, that's the point of what Paul's trying to say here about the show, right? You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be not circumcised. If you think either of those things matter, you're missing the point. What matters most is keep God's commands. All right. There's the first half of that passage. Here's the second half of it. Verses 20 down to verse 24. Again, we get the bookends, right? Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. There's our first bookend. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. All right, there's our bookends. Now he's sort of switched away from talking about circumcision. Now he's talking about slavery. Some people have turned to this passage and they said, well, I don't really like the Bible. I don't like Paul because he was pro-slavery. Because he talks about it here. He even says, if you were a slave when Jesus called you, don't concern yourself with it. You think, really? Paul, come on. I mean, he does say a little bit further down, right? He says, you were brought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. We can get caught up here again about the the example that Paul's using, slavery. We know, right? We know. We don't have to be sort of you know, enlightened or anything by going to high school to know that slavery is wrong. Of course slavery is wrong. That's why I think Paul says, hey, listen, you were bought at a price. Jesus owns your life. Don't become slaves to people. Don't buy people. They're not your property. What is he talking about, though? Well, this is how I would sort of try and summarise the point, and then I'm going to try and tease out where I get that from. I think Paul's saying that your identity is secure, even if you aren't. All right? Your identity is secure, even if you aren't. And so he uses one of the most um, vulnerable people in the culture that he lived and wrote this letter in, those who were part of the slave community those who had lived their life possibly in slavery, born into slavery, possibly even die in slavery. And Paul addresses this situation by saying, hey, listen, did you come to know Jesus while you were a slave? Because this was happening all the time in the first century church. Like, unlike any other people group or any other organisation or any other even religious effort that had taken place, slaves were seen as people by Christians, not just as property. And so they would share the gospel with them. 
They would demonstrate grace towards them. And this people group, this, this socioeconomic group within society of slaves had never experienced anything like this. And there were slave after slave coming to know Jesus. Men and women and children who had known nothing except oppression and they were finding their hope in Christ. And Paul addresses them here. He says, listen, did you come to know Jesus while you were a slave? And then he says, don't let it concern you. Now, I'm fairly, I'm very confident he doesn't mean don't let slavery concern you. Because he straight away says, listen, if you can become free, by all means, become free, right? If you can, if you can somehow escape this bondage of slavery, then escape, get out of it. So what does he mean by don't let it concern you? I think he means that slaves often live their life in that period of time thinking that they were subhuman, lesser than everybody else, right? Paul says, just because your circumstances, your situation is so insecure, just because you are in this place where you've always been told that you are subhuman and less than everybody else, don't let that concern you. You've been, you've been given a new title. And he goes on to say, listen, if you're a slave, right, but you've been called by the Lord, you are a free man in Christ. That's your identity. Now, yes, your circumstances may be still tragic and terrible, but don't forget, you are a free man in Christ. And then he switches the tables and he says, and if, if you're not a slave, if you are free... Don't get too high and mighty thinking, oh, I'm free. He says, no. No, if you were born free, just remember, you're a slave to Christ. And he places everyone on the same playing field. He elevates the slave and says, you're free. And he brings down those that might think that they're better than everybody else because of their situation in life. And he says, no, you're just the same. You're, in fact, a slave to Christ. We're all on the same playing field. What makes the difference is not the circumstance that they're in, but their identity. Who are you in Christ? And Paul says that is secure. It doesn't matter what circumstances you find yourself in, it does not change who you are in Jesus. So you are, your identity is secure even if you aren't. All right, so let's try and apply all of this. We've, we've looked at the bigger picture We've looked at the immediate context. We've sort of seen those two different peoples or situations that Paul's addressing. Let's apply it. In, in one sense, when we apply something, when you're reading your Bible, a really good question to ask yourself after you've finished reading whatever it is that you're reading, whether it's a fire hose reading plan or a one-verse, chew-it-a-hundred-times reading plan, either's fine. At the end of reading, ask this question, so what? You can remember that question? All right? Two words, so what? Not so what as in my attitude towards God is so what, I don't care. But so what, like, well, what difference will this make? If, I, if I've just read this, what difference, what transformation took, should take place? So that's the application question. What is the principle that the Spirit of God is wanting to use to transform your life this morning. Well, here's what I think we can conclude. This is what I've concluded in my personal application of this, and this is what I think Paul's driving at for all of us. Something, something out there 
whatever that is for you, something out there will not satisfy you. So stop searching for it. That's what Paul's saying to us this morning. That's what the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning. Something out there will not satisfy. So stop searching for it. Here's, here's I think, the summary. You, you will never, you will never be more whole as a person, right? You will never be more whole than you are in Christ right now. And I can almost hear the objections in your mind because I have them. Right? Because the wider context that we looked at tells us that we often grasp at the faulty, um, faulty identity of a fulfilling relationship. That's what Paul's been talking about. You know, we say, if, only, if, if, if I could only have the perfect partner to marry... Or maybe if I could only experience uh, a fulfilling sex life, then I would find my deepest satisfaction. And Paul says, no, that will not satisfy you. Stop searching for it. You will never be more whole than you are in Christ right now, right now in your life. So maybe it isn't a relationship that you've been pursuing Maybe it's recognition for your spiritual service. And that's a bit of what Paul's talking about with the whole showiness of circumcision and uncircumcision. And maybe you've said, you know what, if I could just get a degree in theology, or if I could be a pastor, or if I could sing and serve on stage, if I could do something where people recognize me for my walk with Jesus, then I would be satisfied. And Paul says, no, that will not satisfy you. Stop searching for it. You will never be more whole than you are in Christ right now. Maybe it's your private life. If I just had a different job, if I had more free time, if I just had a more secure salary, if I had a more reliable car, if I had just been dealt a better hand in life and had a few more lucky breaks, then I would really be satisfied. Paul says, no, that would never satisfy you. Stop searching for it. You will never be more whole than you are in Christ right now. Right? That's why Paul gives that commandment. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God. That's the key point, right? To remain with God in the situation which he was called. So often, we fall into the trap of the grass is greener on the other side. I look at my situation and it's easy for me to conjure up a fantasy of how much better life would be as a Christian if only, if only these things would change for me. God knows that we're so prone to thinking that the grass is greener on the other side or that it would be better and easier to be a disciple of Jesus if our circumstances were different. 
I think the Spirit of God is saying to us this morning, if Jesus isn't enough for you where you are right now, then he won't be enough for you anywhere. It doesn't matter what circumstance you're just reaching for, what green grass you long for. If Jesus isn't enough for you right now, he will never be enough anywhere for you. So what does that leave us to do? Go out and say, I now know the bookends of the passage. I know what the main point is. No, the objective for us now, pursue Jesus. Right? Pursue Jesus. We don't have to wait till it's better or more convenient or until we've just sorted out this little mess that I've got in my life, then I will pursue Jesus. No, pursue Jesus now, right where you are. The better version of you that you're looking for doesn't exist. Jesus has already seen all of you. Jesus has seen you, even the parts you are ashamed of. And he saw you and he loved you. Jesus saw you and redeemed you. Not the better you, not the better version, not the sorted out you, not the at the end of all my circumstances and striving, and as Mark said, my own efforts sometimes. And He didn't see that version of you and said, yeah, now he's worth it. Now she's got it sorted out. Now I'll redeem them. No, he saw you now. He saw all of you and he said, you are mine. We can rest in that, can we? It's hard, I know. Tomorrow you'll wake up and that green grass will still be there. And it'll still be calling out to you. And Jesus will go, let's, let's go back to what I said. You are whole in Christ. Regardless of your circumstances. And he says, you're mine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for meeting us where we are. Wow, sometimes I just feel like I'm a complete mess. My circumstances are all over the place. I don't know what tomorrow will hold. I feel like I'm going up and down like a yo-yo and... My emotions and my identity seem to be tied to my circumstances. Lord, I pray that you would come in and sever that. Reshape my mind, reshape my heart. Do that for us as a church, Lord, we pray. For each person here today, whether in person or online, Lord, our prayer is, is that you would sever our false identities of being a better person. If only we could sort out some of the things in our life that we want. But Lord, you meet us right where we are. Are we enslaved? Lord, you, you make us free. Lord, if we think that we're better than we are, you bring us down and say, no, you're a slave. But you're a slave to Christ. Lord, it's not about the show. It's not about all the external things that we put on sometimes. Lord, you're calling us each day just to take a step in following Jesus. 
So Lord, reshape our identity according to the gospel, we pray. Who we are in Christ. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your redeeming love and that you have called us your own. And we owe all of that to Jesus, so we worship him. Amen.